Hello and welcome to another episode of the Human in the Machine podcast, the podcast about all things HCI. As ever, I'm your host, Professor Ben Cowan. Today's episode focuses on the design of virtual humans and animals in virtual worlds. We had the pleasure of being joined by Associate Professor Rachel McDonald from Trinity College Dublin, who is exploring the dimensions of virtual human and animal design and how this affects user perceptions. So again, this episode is in two parts, with part one focusing on Rachel's talk about the topic, and then Rachel joining me for a chat as we discuss human-like avatars, the metaverse, and the challenges researching in VR. Remember, if you like this episode, please give us a review and follow us. If you have any ideas also for episodes, questions, suggestions, discussion points, or again, if you just want to say hi, please send them to humaninthemachinepodcast at gmail.com. All that's left for me to say is sit back and enjoy. Um, so uh, today I'm going to talk a bit about um, my research um, and this the title is Take a Walk on the Wild Side Experimenting with Virtual um, Humans and Animals in Virtual Worlds. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about what that's all about now in a second. Um, I'm just going to start off with, um, um, so so my own group is a, a computer graphics group in Trinity and we've kind of specialized in virtual humans and uh, motion capture, um, typically for computer games and visual effects, but we also do research in, um, uh, we've also kind of applied that research to virtual reality. Um, so this is, uh, this is an example of um, one of the first virtual humans I ever worked with in the two, early 2000s called Petrina. I named her and everything. Um, and she, uh, she wasn't very realistic, as you can see there. Um, but I had a very a huge fasc fasc fascination from then on to kind of try to push virtual humans further into looking more like us and behaving more like us. Um, and this has been an area that I've been researching for the last 15 years. Um, so I guess to put that in context with now, with everyone talking about the metaverse, which is basically... Um, where we expect uh, the the internet to go towards 3D rather than 2D. Um, so we'll all be wearing our virtual reality headsets and interacting with virtual humans in the in the near future, apparently. Um, but whether this becomes a reality or not, it's uh, really, uh, for me, a huge fascination because, um, you know, when I started working on virtual humans, the idea that we could actually motion capture um, somebody and their unique movements and apply them to an avatar live in real time and interact with other avatars. It just felt like science fiction at the time. So it's a really exciting kind of er a time and area to be working with virtual humans um, uh, in this space. There are so many ways now that I could represent myself. Um, I don't have to look look um, like my physical self. I can look any way that I want. So, so how should I represent myself? And um, I guess this takes me to, um, I will look at some of the research that we've done. Our research was mainly um, for virtual humans in, in movies and games, but actually a lot of a lot of the perceptual work that we did around um, uh, character motion and appearance is, is very applicable to this idea of representing yourself in VR. Um, so I'll talk a bit about that. So these are some examples of avatars I created of my of myself when I was um, in the lockdowns in uh, which we've all forgotten about. Um, 
So as you can see here, there's different uh, levels of realism there. Obviously, you're going from kind of cartoony uh, to more high-end realis realism, but you can also perhaps imagine yourself as something completely different, like an animal, for example. Um, this is one of the things that I find fascinating about virtual reality. It's not like, can I create an, um, a perfect replica of myself either? It's, can I give myself superhuman properties or you know, become an animal or do something strange. Um, there's endless possibilities with what you can do with computer graphics. Um, so, you know, you know, there, there could be a question of why why bother with realism? Why not uh, go for something a bit um, a bit unrealistic? Um, so just getting back to appearance. So if we start with appearance and I'll also look at motion, um, I'm not going to look at voice today because we're assuming that the avatar's voice will be coming from the human themselves. Um, so appearance and motion are two things that we we have kind of control over. So you've often heard this phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, and that's usually uh, is a good phrase to go by in life. Um, but there's been some psychology studies showing that for the first impressions formed um, of people happen in a fraction of a second. And with limited accuracy, so not necessarily accurate, but these these um, impressions do form. Um, and they can have critical social consequences. So I, I think this idea is very interesting from the point of view of virtual reality and how you decide to represent yourself. Um, so just to look a little further into some of those, those psychology studies. Um, so for example, we'll just take um, an example in research in psychology um, has shown that um, some personality um, uh, traits um, are strongly in influenced by certain specific uh, facial traits. So fa the facial width to height ratio. So if you see, uh, I think I have a little red square here, the ratio of the width to the height of the face um, has been shown to be highly correlated with uh, ratings of dominance, aggressiveness, honesty, and appeal. And then also eyes are another area. So larger eyes um, and smaller eyes can be associated very, very, very strongly with um, honesty and dominance. And uh, this, our brains seem to evolve to process these features quickly and draw immediate con uh, conclusions about them, um, such as whether a person is a threat or not. And I get this, this is why it's, um, the process is uh, deeply rooted in evolution. Um, so it's automatic and it's at a subconscious level. Um, so uh, we, one of our studies looked at whether or not when you were looking at yourself, say like this in a Zoom call and you applied, um, uh, a filter to your own face, do you start judging yourself as more dominant or aggressive or things like that? So we actually did find that all of these previous psychology study results um, also applied to uh, your own face. Um, so this could have interesting consequences for if you were just to apply a, a filter of some sort to change the width to height ratio of your face would you be more um, convincing in an argument, for example? And that's something, of course, that we're looking at at the moment. Um, but um, so um, this was actually, yeah, I looked at it um, also from the point of view of primates <clears throat> to see, you know, um, does it have, you know, uh, um, how far back or how much of an evolutionary uh, link there is. So I'm just going to ask you um, here, and I know you can't really answer me, but maybe you can answer yourself and I'll tell you the answer in a second. Um, which of these um, chimps are high on dominance, do you think? 
Um, well, hopefully all of you have an answer anyway, whether it's right or not. Uh, well, I don't know if there's even a right answer. But anyway, this one was the one um, I would have certainly said definitely higher on dominance. Um, but there, there were some studies um, that looked at this and found that indeed the ratings of the faces were similar to the faces of humans in terms of the width to height ratio, um, in terms of dominance. And also the personalities of the chimps matched up with the um with the ratings. So there's definitely something um, uh, evolutionary going on there. So um, this was something that was very interesting for us in terms of virtual humans, because of course in, in VR you can change your, um, your appearance to whatever you want. So we wanted to see did these same um, laws apply across virtual humans. And in general, when the, when the appearance of the character has realistic proportions, um, the, the rules apply, they're the same. Whereas we have more abstract characters that have kind of more cartoony um, representation. There are some some of the um, effects are the same, but some differ. So, for example, um, in the case of the, the study on top is our study and the one on the bottom is is by um, Sanghan and Luxman. Um, but we both found that um, wider faces were judged to be less dominant in the case of these kind of abstract characters, whereas narrow faces were more dominant, um, which was the opposite to what you had in real uh, faces. So I'm going to show, ask some more questions. So in the, these characters, you can see they're extremely... Um, uh, abstract, so there's only, there's, they don't even have a nose or mouth. But but could you make a judgment about trustworthiness on these characters? Uh, would you be able to say whether one of them looked more trustworthy or the other? Or the other? I'll give you a second to have a think about it. Which one? So the one on the left is the most trustworthy, and the so we did all the studies on this, and again, again they did match up to um, to the 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 rules. Again, uh, are these two. What about three and four? Which one is the most aggressive looking? So three is most aggressive and four is the least aggressive. Um, so actually we went further with this study and we ran an experiment where we participants interact with these virtual um, abstract characters. Um, and it was this kind of a dilemma situation where it's a moral dilemma. You have to make a decision to sacrifice a life for the sake of other um, uh, saving others. And what our key finding there was that if you used an aggressive looking character um, in the uh, telling you about the moral dilemma, it yielded more utilitarian responses. So in that case, would what would be considered a more violent response would be sacrificing a life for a greater good. So, uh, what, I mean, I think one of the things that we found interesting from this study was the fact that, of course, care should be taken <laughs> choosing character if you're going to be presenting a moral dilemma. Um, but, 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 you know, the fact that just the appearance of the character can have an effect on your behavior. Um, and similarly, there's been um, research um, uh, in the VR community showing that if you uh, embody a virtual avatar with certain properties, you actually start to take on those properties yourself. Um, so the examples in the literature are things like if you um, embody a taller character, you, your behavior starts becoming more confident or um, there's other examples um, as well. But but yeah, there was a, there was one nice paper with um, a Joker and uh, Superman. Um, and they found that if the participants were uh, embodying the Joker, being, being aggressive towards everyone, whereas if they were uh, embodying a Superman character, they they took on the role of the of the character. So, again, the appearance is very important in virtual reality um, uh, for for all sorts of different reasons. 
Um, there's a, this idea of the, the uncanny valley, which is something you may or may not have heard of. It's um, it's 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 based on a theory um, in robotics that the more realistic you try to make a virtual uh, or a robot, but it also kind of translates to a virtual character. Um, it, it starts to become um, it starts to become uh, more appealing to you because it's more human like. But then it reaches a certain point where it's trying to replicate a, a real human. And it might give you um, a kind of a negative response. Um, so I don't know, so, some of the more recent computer games and things like that, you can see some very, what we call uncanny kind of characters that looked just a little bit wrong or something. Um, so we did a lot of experiments on the uh, uncanny valley, uh, looking at uh, the effect of realism uh, and just trying to uh, drill down exactly, because it's it's really a theory, it's not proven. Um, we're trying to drill down the aspects of a virtual character that you have to change to call these to um, give these kind of negative effects. So uh, we ran tons and tons of studies on this stuff, uh, looking at things like material and shape and changing the material and the shape and uh, trying to identify what are the, the, the combinations that, that are most appealing and least appealing. Um, just generally, some of the results we found were things like material, um, so again, virtual characters, uh, one of the nice aspects of them is um, with computer graphics, you can change literally anything you want about the appearance, even down to, you know, it could have the exact same shape, but you have a different material applied to it. So this shows some examples here, or you could even change the lighting or the hair. Or, there's just so many options with a virtual character that actually trying to drill down which of them um, has an effect on on user behavior um, can be can be quite a daunting task. Um, so in this case, yeah, we found that the material was the main predictor of things like appeal, attractiveness, and even eeriness. Um, and uh, the the shape of the character's face was the main predictor of realism. So if you wanted a more realistic character, you had to make sure that it had realistic proportions. Um, and we also found that in in the middle, kind of hard to cat categorize characters were judged as more eerie. So if you had the shape of a cartoon, but the material of a realistic character, that kind of combination um, was where we found the most eerie. Well, eerie is what we kind of used to, to define the uncanny value or kind of a creepy effect. Okay, so face ownership then is something that um, is important when you're embodying a virtual human. So if you want to take on the body of a virtual human. So there's there's many studies, uh, again, back in early VR research and even in psychology, um, the rubber hand illusion, if you haven't heard of it, look it up. Or the Pinocchio illusion is something you could try yourselves. Uh, that's something, maybe look up that. Um, but th this is the idea that you that the the brain is is plastic, has plasticity and, and can um, take on um, a virtual or even a, a rubber hand and, and think that it's its own. So there are different circumstances in which um, that has to happen. And one of the most important ones for virtuality is visuomotor synchrony. So that means when I move my hand, uh, the virtual body should move its hand as well. And uh, similarly, if I turn my head, like all of these motor uh, changes that I'm having should be happening to my virtual character. And once they are, then I feel that that body is mine. And then if, for example, you give a threat to the virtual body, you, you come at it with a sword or something like that, and the participant will actually feel, you know, that their real body is threatened. Um, so face ownership is something that doesn't get as much um, um, uh, attention, but it's something that we've looked at quite a bit and um, trying to determine um, if, if 
when when you embody a virtual character like this, can you really feel as though that virtual face is your face? Um, and generally you can. This is one of our studies recently. I'll just show an example. So this this face is being the the person, the participant on the left's face is being tracked and it's being applied to this virtual character. Um, uh, and it's as if he was looking in a mirror. Pizza? It's got like pineapple on my pizza. Uh, I don't mind it. I wouldn't go out of my way to put it on my pizza though. We asked a lot of <laughs> ridiculous questions. Um, and here are some examples in that study where we applied um, uh, the movements uh, live to, to different, uh, av yeah, he's straightening he's out of shape there on the left, um, but we applied different um, ages of characters um, to see if that affected your level of in face. So if do, do I only feel as though it's my face if it's a similar age to me, if it's an older character, maybe I don't feel that. Race change is also uh, possible, the level of ownership of a body or a face so really, we can we can make our body or face whatever we want it to be in VR, and actually, we will still feel like that's our that it belongs to us, and that we can um, we can uh, use that character as ourselves. Um, clothing is another aspect that we had a, had a brief look at last year. Um, we wanted to see if um, if people in groups um, were affected by the clothing that they were wearing. Um, there are reasons for doing this, but um, I don't have a huge amount of time to get into them. But um, for example, here you can see that on the left, there's a group of participants uh, taking part in an experiment. So these are all um, in VR. And, and having an interaction with the group in VR. And for example, if when you're in VR, if you change the clothing that you're wearing, does it actually, because in real life that does have an effect on you. If you have, you know, if you're wearing a suit or something like that, you might feel more um, business-like and able to make decisions better, for example. Um, we found no effect in this case of the clothing. So again, um, uh, there, there could be other reasons for that, but 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 one of the nice things we found about this was the the interactions in VR for groups. Um, people people felt like leaders more than they did in real life, so that was a nice kind of side effect of of do, doing this experiment in VR. Uh, so that's clothing. Uh, so then motion then is the other thing. So that's kind of appearance. Um, uh, so motion then um, I'm going to just quickly go back to some. Um, uh, early experiments done in the 1970s. Um, I just want to show you a little um, clip here and if you can try and think about what you think is going on in this clip, if you can see it. It's just a dot moving across the screen, right? Some people think it looks like a little bunny or they don't really know what, what it is. So um, now if I add more dots to that, I'll see if you if it starts to become clearer what's going on. So can so with those other two dots, can can you kind of figure out what's what that is? Um, so if you haven't uh, noticed that that would that's a leg moving across the the scene. Uh, here, there's a little dot moving across the screen. But if we add more dots to that, you can clearly see that it's it's an arm uh, moving across the scene. So this the the purpose of this is to um, highlight the uh, the fact that humans are really good at um, Putting to uh, understanding patterns in the in the movement of other humans. This is called biological motion, um, and it's it's really innate. It's something that we can do really at a very very young age. Um, so so 
we can associate those those just even that small little information together um, and we can understand that it's a human body movement. And it's it's related to the fact that we're so used to seeing uh, humans moving. So, for example, if you saw um, a bunch of dots like this, you will start to make patterns um, in your brain with regard to relationships between them, even though they're random. Um, but it, it's nothing like something like the, this where you can really see the two. And even when they cross over each other, your ability to know that it's a person and a moving person um, remains. Um, so what, why do I, why, what is this interesting for virtual reality? So it, it, my interest in this was motion capture because um, motion capture is where you apply um, uh, markers to the main joints of the body and you you uh, capture the movement of people um, and this is something that you you have to do in virtual reality if you want to embody a character so if you want to be able to have that visuomotor synchrony uh, you want every joint of the body that you're moving to be moving the same as the virtual character so um, motion this is like almost early motion capture how they did it in the 70s was they actually put light bulbs on the major joints of the of the car of the participants and put them in a black room and 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 did that but nowadays we just use motion capture we can get these similar uh patterns um so people were very interested still they 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 um continued research on biological motion for years after that initial study and they found things like you can um determine people's gender from their motion you can determine their identity everyone ha even has a a kind of unique way of walking and their emotional state, their state of health, and, and even personality traits. They can all be determined from just looking at these point light displays. Um, a recent study done uh, by researchers in Berkeley, this isn't my own work, but um, I think it's really interesting, um, was where they collected data in VR from, I don't know if anyone's played uh, Beat Saber. Um, it's this game where you just basically, like it's like a lightsaber and you're whacking things. Um, but anyway, um, they gathered information from 50,000 users uh, on Beat Saber and were able to use machine learning to identify the patterns of motion and identify those uh, an individual um, with a very, very high level of accuracy. So if you if the graph here shows um, if you have 100 seconds of data of the user, you're way over 97% or 98% accuracy in identifying that very same person. So I think this, I hopefully this speaks to the idea of like when you're in VR, um, all of the movements that you're, you're doing have a, a unique fingerprint uh, for you. So not only identifying who you are, it could be identifying medical conditions, all these kind of things. And again, that's that's an ethical kind of question around um, should we be uh, handing out our, our motion um, that that well, but that's for another another day's debate. Um, OK, so I kind of discussed a little bit about this idea of body ownership before where you take on the, the feeling. And there's another way of doing it with visio tactile stimulation which is where um, if you see in the image in the top there, uh, there's a rubber hand and the um, the experimenter is uh, simultaneously rubbing a, um, uh, a, what is that, uh, like a paintbrush along both. And, and after a while, the participant uh, takes on, thinks that the rubber hand is their own. Um, body ownership is something that we're looking at a little bit um, uh, just a side note with, with my postdoc at the moment. Um, so we're looking at, at things, for example, where if you look down and your virtual body is moving, 
but your own body isn't moving, how does that affect things like your your brain response and your muscle response? Um, and interestingly, um, um, she has find, found previously that the heart rate uh, increase. So for example, if you look at your body exercising and you're not exercising, you're just sitting on a chair, it actually increases your heart rate, changes your brain activation and has positive effects for things like um, concentration, which you would normally get from exercise. Um, and also more recently, we've done some work that shows that your muscles are act actually activating when you when you in a first person view, see your virtual body moving. Um, so so there's a lot going on when you're in VR. It's uh, there's you really do take on um, as if you you feel that this body is your own. So it can it can affect you in all sorts of ways. OK, so finally, I just want to get quickly onto my last point, which is uh, about the animal embodiment. So this is kind of a bit a bit more for for uh, the fun element, but there's lots of actual challenging computer graphics um, uh, research in this area, which is why we're kind of um, looking at it. So animal embodiment um, in previous work has been mainly kind of humanoid animals or unrealistic um, uh, with unrealistic kind of motion. Um, so there are many challenges with regard to embodying an animal um, and it's mainly related to the morphology differences. So the difference in the shape of the body, there's significant differences which make it very challenging to have this visuomotor synchrony. So when I move my arm, <laughs> what, what should be moving if I'm embodying a snail or something? Um, so it's this idea of, of trying to find out how we could, um, we could do this effectively. Um, so there, here's just, Examples of some early tests we were doing. This is an example where um, the 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 walker is in front, and we've got the same legs on the that. Because again, if you had a quadruped, for example, um, you know, your how do you actually map your legs and arms onto onto a quadruped's legs? So this is some study. Uh, there's lots of work in in the computer graphics and animation using things like neural networks and procedural animation to try to do this kind of mapping. Uh, we took the approach of um, get motion capturing a lovely dog um, and uh, getting all their unique um, motion fingerprint um, with, from the motion um, and learning that through um, machine learning uh, to try to, to learn the unique motion of a dog. Uh, input, um, the human motion and convert it to dog motion. So um, here's an example of our system working. So on the top right there, you see my student Donald uh, walking around. Um, on the bottom left, you see from a third person's perspective what the dog is doing. And on the bottom right, you see um, the first person perspective. So that's what, what Donald is seeing when he's looking in, he's looking at a mirror of himself um, being a dog, basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, so again, the idea is to try to have realistic dog motion, um, but being driven by a human. And yeah, so the results of our paper there, we called it NeuroDog, <laughs> was um, that, that people were able to feel body ownership over um, this dog. Um, and the higher the level of accuracy of the motion, um, the higher the level of embodiment. So people did really feel that they were, uh, that they owned the, do the dog's body. Um, uh, we also tried oral feedback where we um, we had uh, the feedback of the the fur on the animal. Um, uh, I'll show you an example video of that because it's kind of funny. Um, 
So here's an example of my um, of where we're trying to embody a dog um, while br brushing um, on the fur. So you could hear, you could both hear the visual, the feedback of the the fur sound, and you could also feel the the um, the brush going down your back. Um, so in that case, we had video mainly tactile, and then we'd audio um, feedback. Yeah, you can kind of hear the sound of of a brush. And that was just tactile as well. So we did loads of different combinations. Um, in that study, we found that tactile uh, feedback was more important for things like fur ownership um, and, and feeling that the body had changed um, than things like audio uh, feedback. But we're going to look into that in more detail. Um, all right, so why animals? Um, this is a study that we're doing at the moment with the Lear Academy. Um, which is where we were, they, they usually use animal embodiment as a study to, for actor training um, to, to, you know, uh, feel a sense of their, it, it's, it's really good for training actors to, um, to, to have a change in their body and, and be aware of their movements and things like that. So we're working with them at the moment to, um, uh, to apply their motions real, uh, real time where they're they're moving and their animal that they can see their animals so to try to enhance their performances and their feeling of embodiment so this one is an example of an eagle um actually we have 15 of them coming to our lab tomorrow to embody various different animals so uh, that should be should be interesting uh the, there's a number of open questions which i'm sure we'll we'll get to in the discussion um uh, playing the different role of different avatars what are the endless possibilities in Bior for your appearance and your motion um and the the importance of various aspects um there are some different papers uh, courses and things if you're interested to look a bit further on this we've summarized a lot of the research in different um uh papers and i just to thank you to the students whose work um i presented here but and, and thanks everyone for listening Again, thanks so much to Rachel for giving us all the insight into the world of virtual agent design. So next time I make an avatar, I might go for something a little bit more on the wild side, just to test things out. Again, don't forget to review and follow us. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can get in contact by emailing us at humaninthemachinepodcast at gmail.com. And all that's left for me to say is I've been Ben Cowan. Stay curious and don't let the machines get you down. Until next time. Yeah.